This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week six of the NFL season has concluded. Week seven of the college football season is behind us. There is so much to talk about from this past weekend and looking ahead to this upcoming weekend that I'm excited to break it all down for you this evening. Some news, I'm recording this late Tuesday night. I want to start out with some pretty big news in terms of college football, and that is former tight end for the Oklahoma Sooners, Grant Calcaterra on Twitter announced that he is going to announce where he is planning on playing football next year. Remember, if you are unfamiliar with the name, Grant Calcaterra was one of the top tight end prospects last college football season before last season started. You know, you would see him routinely in the top three, top five of tight end prospects for the 2020 NFL draft, retired during the season, but it sounds like he plans on coming back. No word on yet in terms of where, trying to figure out why or if Oklahoma can be an option. It sounds like from what I saw a little bit on Twitter, that's possible if a player retires but keeps his scholarship at that university. He can't come back and play football there. So I don't know all the logistics on that, but I do know that I was a big fan of Calcaterra when I watched him, not this past summer, but the summer before going into the 2019 college football season. I thought he could really be a very dynamic pass catching tight end. When I watched him, he reminded me, you know, for people, you know, who watched the Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning, Dallas Clark type player, a smaller in terms of his weight and frame of a Mark Andrews type. That's what Calcaterra kind of reminded me of a guy who's not going to be asked to block or do much in line when I had written him up for last year's scouting notebook. You know, I talked about things that I thought he had great athleticism, speed, quickness, and movement skills to create easy separation in his route running and create mismatches all over the, all over the field. I honestly don't think that linebackers and safeties were going to be able to, to hang with him at the, at the next level, you know, for his athleticism for the position. I thought I liked his length good body control, ball skills, showed the ability to adjust. I thought he could attack the seam, get vertical, but also be a weapon after the catch in the short to intermediate range. So I thought there was a lot to like about his game. I thought he was a, I thought he was an above average route runner ability. Like I said, to attack the seam and get vertical. I thought functional was his route tree still had more to develop. And I think that's still an area of refinement, but you have to know who he is. He's not going to be a guy who's going to hold the point of attack. He doesn't play with great play strength. He's not a guy who's got the ideal tight end frame at all. And he's not a guy who could be asked to block much. But in terms of a pass catching role, I'm really intrigued by where he ends up playing college football next year and then potentially be a pass catching tight end at the next level. So I think, you know, when you start making lists already for the 2022 tight end class, I think Calcaterra has to be in the mix now of one of the like the five guys that you should be talking about. I know for right now, just kind of as like a placeholder, I added him back into our Debbie rankings in the rankings notebook, you know, over at Saturday to Sunday, you know, and right now, as much as I liked his game, I kind of put him right now in terms of my Debbie list at, at seven. 
You know, obviously the top of that list is Pitts and Fryermuth and Jordan. Reed Gilbert, you know, the sensational freshman tight end for LSU. I have it number four. Underclassman Baylor Cup from Texas A&M is at five. Charlie Kolar, you know, at I- Iowa State is six. And then I put Calcaterra right there. You know, and I just for now put him in terms of the transfer portal until we get more news. But I have him over a couple guys this year, like Brant Coote from Utah, Kyle Granson from SMU, you know, Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State, who a lot of upside and potential, but really hasn't put it all together yet. Nick Eubanks from Michigan, Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin. You know, I'm more intrigued by Calcaterra and his pass catching. And if we're talking the Devi component and we're talking fantasy spin, I think that's why Calcaterra, you know, jumps right back into the mix for me at number seven, you know, with upside there because I really was intrigued by him going into last college football season. So excited to to hear that he's going to be back in college football next year. So that was some breaking news that, that came on right before I started recording the podcast. So I wanted to start with that right at the top. If we take this to the NFL draft stock report for week seven, not a lot of names I want to get through today, but I want to start with quarterback Zach Wilson out of BYU. I had a chance to watch a little bit of film, not enough yet to make a full evaluation on him yet or get him into the 2021 scouting notebook he will be the first quarterback I add you know right now I think there's 18 quarterbacks you know on that list he will be the first quarterback that I add to it followed by Mac Jones of Alabama but in terms of the little bit I watched of him 6 210 I mean this year this past week 400 yards four touchdowns you know on a standalone game I think it was on Friday night You know, he was a guy that, you know, if you listen to some of the top draft evaluators, guys like Dane Brugler, Tony Pauline, they, most of those guys said that prior to the year starting, he had a, he had a day three grade and he's already moved himself and elevated himself into the day two mix. So I think right now I've been saying along the entire season and even before the season started, there's a clear top three at the quarterback position, right? With Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. But after that, it's wide open. You know, for me, I had Jamie Newman, Brock Purdy, you know, Desmond Ritter as my next three prior to the season starting. And then after that, there were guys like Sam Ellinger, KJ Costello, uh, and then Kyle Trask. Right now, I've moved Kyle Trask to the head of that list. But in terms of what I saw from Zach Wilson this past game, and just some film eval on him. I've now thrown him into the mix right there. I have him at number eight right now with an arrow pointing up that he he has the ability to push himself up ahead of the Trasks, the Ritter, the Purdy, the Newman. So he's a guy that I need to watch a lot more film on. You know, I'm very forthright in terms of, you know, until I get enough watch on the player. I don't want to, you know, I put him in there as a little bit of a placeholder right now. Cause I think it, already from what I've seen, he belongs in that mix right there with those guys. But I think as the year goes on, as I watch more film on him, he could even move himself up that list a little bit higher and be in the mix to maybe even be the fourth quarterback taken in this draft class after the, after the top three. So Zach Wilson is a name that if you are unfamiliar with him, you should start to get familiar with him because his arrow and stock is pointing way up. 
this past weekend, Trevor Lawrence, obviously, you know, being from New York, there's been a lot of buzz about Trevor Lawrence with the Giants and the Jets going into this past weekend, both winless. Giants now, you know, have one win, Jets still at zero, and does not look like that's going to change anytime soon. You know, so Trevor Lawrence has been the topic of conversation here and in most places around the country. I think probably the heavy favorite right now to win the Heisman, potentially another national title there this year at Clemson, 404 yards and five touchdowns. Last year, in the beginning of the year, there was there were some questions about him. He he wasn't taking care of the football as well. This year, he has came out and, and there's been there's been no hiccups this year from Trevor Lawrence. I, I went on Twitter this past weekend and said he makes it look so easy. The last, you know, the only comparison I could think of is when Ken Griffey Jr., you know, when he played for the Mariners in his prime, he made it look effortless in terms of his swing, in terms of him playing defense in center field. That's what Trevor Lawrence reminds me of when he plays football. Everything looks effortless for him. His his mechanics, his release, you know, his his movement skills, you know, his ability, you know, to make the right decision now. I don't think that is much of an issue anymore. I think he's the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. I think you watch his game and you see some Aaron Rodgers. You see some Andrew Luck. He can make every NFL throw. He's got athleticism. He's got the ability to make plays with his legs. He's the modern day NFL quarterback that you want because he can do with his legs. He can do with his arm. He can throw on the run. I don't see any way, as good as Justin Fields is, as good as Trey Lance is, I don't see any scenario where Trevor Lawrence is not the first pick in the NFL draft, whoever is making the selection. Another guy I wanted to talk about is Temple quarterback Anthony Russo. He was in the 2020 scouting notebook, and then he was in the 2021 scouting notebook. So this past week, 30 of 42, 270 yards and four touchdowns. Russo was a guy... Ideal size and frame at 6'4", 230 pounds. When I watched him over the last two summers, things that I liked about him in addition to that size and frame, I liked his arm talent. I thought he had good to very good arm talent to make every NFL pro. He chose the ability to push it outside the numbers and vertically down the field. I thought he had good touch uh, with his throws, and he showed good you know, toughness in the pocket. You know, Some areas that I thought were functional were his release, his mechanics, his vertical ball placement, his footwork. Going through progressions, he had some athleticism for a guy his size and mobility. But for me, the big thing that I'm going to keep a close eye on this year is his accuracy. Obviously, 30 to 42, we'll take that all day. But at times, he's had inconsistent accuracy to all three levels of the field. Turnovers and decision-making were an issue last year for him. The mental processing and poise under pressure, those are things that I'm looking for him to improve upon this year. But if he could improve upon those things, I think he's a little bit of a, a guy that could be intriguing to NFL teams because he's got the size, he's got the frame. Temple guys are always coached really well. So Russo is a guy just to kind of keep on the back of your radar as a day three quarterback prospect with some with some upside if he can improve upon the accuracy and clean up the decision-making and turnovers. And then the other guy's Mac Jones. I mentioned him before. I find it hard to get a good eval on him and I'm, I haven't added him to the notebook yet because I still, to be honest with you, I want to watch more of him. And it's so hard to decipher Jones's skill set and not realize that he's, he is playing with two elite wide receivers that just create separation at will and absolutely make the job of him at quarterback significantly easier. 
there's Mac Jones throws a really good vertical ball. And those guys are two great vertical wide receivers. So I, I look at Mac Jones and I think he's a competent day three prospect, you know, and I don't think he's a day two guy. I don't think he's a round one guy right now. I look at him and I think he's a day three type player. So, you know, I added him to the rankings portion of the, the, the rankings notebook, you know, right now I kind of have him in that Kellen Mond, Ian book, Shane Bichelle territory, you know, but again, guys that are ahead of him, you know, Dury King, KJ Costello, who I've had to move down now after that great opening uh, game, he's just looked terrible. So obviously Costello has moved down a little bit. So there's room for, for Jones to even get higher. And then we're waiting on the Big Ten, obviously, this upcoming weekend to get started. Guys like Tanner Morgan out of Minnesota, Sean Clifford out of Penn State. I'll be keeping a close eye on this upcoming week as well. But Jones has a chance to to move up a little bit, but I I envision him as more of a day three around five to round seven guy. Uh, you know, if he continues to have a strong year this year. If I take this to the running back group, you know, not a lot to talk about. Obviously, that Alabama Georgia game was the best game this week, and you know, I was talking on Twitter this Saturday about Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. And it really is a 1A, 1B thing. And anybody that wants to put Harris at the top and Ethan behind him, I, I have no fault with that whatsoever. I even said on Twitter this past weekend that I do think Najee Harris is the most complete back of that, of, of this, you know, list of prospects for the running back position. I think he probably is better all around in most areas than Travis Etienne. The reason why I have Ethan slightly ahead is that burst and acceleration. I think that's rare to elite. That stop start acceleration, the the long speed and the burst. I do think though, if you pulled 32 NFL teams, I think it's probably 16, 16, 15, you know, 17, whatever you want to say. I think it's really close in terms of how the NFL will evaluate it. I think a lot might have to do with what teams already have in their backfield, you know, what scheme and offense they want to run, you know, what they want the running back to be. Do they want it to be a guy that, you know, can be that big play threat and add that dynamic weapon to their backfield? Or do they want a guy who can be a little bit more all around, be a guy that can really be a bell cow and a focal point. I think that's more Harris and Harris shows more in the passing game. I I know Ethan has made strides in that regard, but I think Harris is way better right now in terms of his route running, his acumen as a pass catcher. So it really is a coin flip. It's a one, a one B it's not a one, two for me. It's a one, a and a one B. And I do think that Ethan is slightly ahead. I think they both should be taken somewhere between like pick 20 in round one and the first five to 10 picks in round two. And I expect both of them to be taken there. Samir White, we saw him in against Alabama, 10 carries, 57 yards and a touchdown. White is, listen, White is more athletic than you expect when you see his size and frame. And I think he's a guy that has a, the chance to be a day two pick. But again, it needs to be an offense that wants that physical presence between the tackles with good athleticism, but he's not going to be a guy that wins in space a lot. He's not going to be a guy that does much and is much of a factor in the passing game, but it's great to see him healthy this year. And I think as the year builds, he's going to continue to move up draft boards because of his upside and his ability to be a, a guy that could really be a power back, but also have that athleticism to make some big plays as well. At the wide receiver position, I already mentioned it before when I was talking about Mac Jones, but 
you know, every time you watch them, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, you start to wonder where they kind of fit in the pecking order. And I know Jamar Chase is amazing. And I know Rashad Bateman is amazing. And I know Rondell Moore is amazing. And now we're going to see more this year, you know, because he opted back in. But we're not going to see Chase and we're not going to see Bateman. And we're going to see Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle every single week, you know, on CBS when Alabama plays or ESPN. And I'm starting to wonder just how high these guys can move up the boards. We saw Henry Ruggs catapult over C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy last year because of that game-breaking speed. I wouldn't put it past Jalen Waddell to be the first wide receiver taken in the 2021 NFL draft. And I don't think that's something that people thought was possible. You know, there's going to be a lot of teams that have Jamar Chase at number one, but all it takes is one team. And there's going to be a team that I guarantee you there's going to be more than one team that could potentially have Jalen Waddell atop their wide receiver board because of the speed, because of the element he can bring. Jamar Chase is not, Jamar Chase play speed is fantastic, but he's not going to, he's not going to burn up the combine. He's just not, that's not who Jamar Chase is. And Jalen Waddell is going to be probably a 4-2-7, 4-2-8, 4-2-9 type guy, maybe even faster. And his big playability, I don't know how you could not watch him play and, and think Henry Ruggs. And every year I feel like that comp is thrown out there. I think Jalen Waddell is the closest thing. I thought Henry Ruggs was a little bit more like Will Fuller type. I think Jalen Waddell could be Tyree Kill 2.0. I really do believe that. And then his teammate, Devonta Smith, you know, he is just such a good route runner. For a guy who's got a thinner frame, he shows great ability at the catch point to be physical, that the frame doesn't really hinder him at the catch point as much as you would think. He's such a fundamentally sound wide receiver. I think they are both first-round locks. I think we're going to have five or six wide receivers in round one. I think both of these guys are going round one. I think Jalen Waddle could push his way potentially to the top of the list. I think that's how skilled and intriguing of a prospect he is. So I wanted to talk about those guys again because every week I feel like we could talk about them. Elijah Moore continues to absolutely just dominate. This week, 11 catches, 113 yards, and one touchdown. He, I think he's starting to create a little separation. Again, I was talking about on Twitter, like, I have him, Tutu Atwell, and Daz Newsome. Had them all very close together before the season started. I still have them very close together, but I have moved at, uh, more to the to the top of that gr- trio right there. But even with that, he's still 14th in my wide receiver rankings, and that just speaks of the volume and the depth of how good this class is. So Elijah Moore continues to just produce double-digit catches, big yardage every single week. Uh, he's he's been remarkable. And then Clemson wide receiver Amari Rogers, he had a big week with Trevor Lawrence throwing in the football this week. Six catches, 161 yards, and two touchdowns. He's kind of had a wait his turn there, but the five foot ten, two hundred and ten pound receiver is really been producing this year. So he's a guy that right now I don't think you're seeing on many wide receiver boards, but he could easily be a draftable prospect on day three. So he's a guy you should be familiar with, Amari Rogers out of Clemson. If we take this to the Debbie slant where we talk about some underclassmen prospects, I want to stand that Alabama George game. George Pinkins, five catches, 53 yards. Not a, not a gaudy statistical day, but I do think now's the time to utilize, you know, he hasn't had that monster breakout game yet. 
But to me, he's one of the most talented underclassmen wide receivers in the country. He sits right now number 13 in my wide receiver board in terms of my Devi ranks. But that's just because I tend to favor guys that are draft eligible. Like it's hard for me to put Pickens ahead of guys that could be top 50 picks in this upcoming draft. And that's, you know, there's 13, you know, there's 12 guys that I think could warrant top 50 selections in this upcoming draft. So it's hard for me, you know, guys like George Pickens and David Bell, it's hard for me to get them over guys. So, you know, the Seth Williams of the world, the Amon Ross St. Browns, you know, the Tamarian Terry's, you know, Justin Ross, obviously, you know, his health condition could drop him down. But it's hard for me to put Pickens and, and David Bell and guys like that ahead of these guys who I think have top 50 upside this year. So that's the only reason why Pickens at 13 on talent alone, he probably would be higher. But when I make my Debbie rankings, I always skew more to the guys that are closer to the NFL because there's more that could happen that can derail the, the underclassmen guys uh, who aren't draft eligible just yet. But I think now's the time he's not putting up gaudy stats. Now would be the time that I try to aggressively go get George Pinkins at the running back. I I've been talking about him a lot. Tank Bigsby, you know, at Auburn 111 yards and a touchdown continues to really impress me when I watch him. And then Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M, 18 carries 114 yards and two touchdowns. You know, those are two guys that, you know, I think the arrow is pointing up on them. You know, right now Isaiah Spiller sits at number eight in my running back. Devi rankings, but again, that's because a bunch of the guys ahead of him are draft eligible this year. But on talent alone, I think he might warrant being ahead of Kenneth Gainwell and you know, even, and I'm waiting to see on Journey Brown this year, who I'm very high on, but I know those guys are draft eligible, so I have them a little bit higher. But Isaiah Spiller continues to impress me. And at the quarterback position, obviously UNC this week gets upset by Florida State, but Sam Howell, 20 of 36, 374 yards, three touchdowns, interception. You're going to hear me keep pounding the table for him. I think he's the fourth best quarterback in college football right now after the big three from this year. Howell is a guy... Anywhere you can get him on your Debbie team, now's the time to go get him because I think he, we're looking at the guy who's going to be the, considered the 2022 QB1 uh, a year from now. So continue to check in on him every single week. Bo Nix, this past week, 272 yards and three touchdowns. I was talking about him a little bit on Twitter this past week. You know, and the thing about Bo Nix is he was a highly regarded recruit coming out of high school because of his arm talent and his athleticism. People are still high on Bo Nix because of his arm talent and athleticism. It's really intriguing. It's it's intoxicating when you watch that. But he's even coming out and still there hasn't been a lot of growth and development in terms of accuracy, ball placement, mental processing, and stuff like that. So I do think he's still highly regarded in the Debbie community because of the arm talent and the athleticism and the hope that he could put it all together. But we'll see. He hasn't shown a lot in that area just yet. And I think that's what we're waiting on to kind of see if he can put it all together, you know, and then be that prospect that so many people want him to be. If we take this to the tail of the tape, when we take a look ahead at this, some prospects from this upcoming weekend of games. I'm excited to watch NC State UNC. How does UNC bounce back after that upset by Florida State? I just talked about Sam Howell, him. I have my eyes on him and the wide receiver Daz Newsom and Deami Brown. Louisville, Florida State. How does Florida State 
respond after the big upset of UNC? Can they use it as a little bit of a catapult to, you know, to have a better season this year than maybe was expected of them? On the Louisville side, every week when Louisville plays, my eyes are on Tutu Atwell, Javion Hawkins, and Des Fitzpatrick. None of them really have had any, you know, performances that really jumped out yet. But like I said before, I think Tutu Atwell is in that mix in terms of like the 15th to 18th best wide receiver in this class. But I like his electric ability with the ball in his hands and after the catch. Javion Hawkins, I think, could be, you know, an intriguing change of pace back. Very dynamic in the open field. You got to get him in space, though. And then Des Fitzpatrick, we talk a lot about. I like his ball skills, his route running, physicality, and toughness. Auburn, Ole Miss. On the Auburn side, I already talked about uh, Tank Bigsby before. Keep an eye on him. Seth Williams, who, again, I'll continue to say, is a cross between Mike Evans and Alshon Jeffrey. I'm intrigued by him. And then how does Bo Nix bounce back after his poor game? You know, I think against Ole Miss, he really should get it going. Ole Miss doesn't play a lot of defense, so I'd expect a big game from Bo Nix. A couple of touchdowns maybe from Seth Williams and a big game there. On the Ole Miss side, you know, how does Matt Corral look in this game? And then we already talked about him before. You know, Elijah Moore off to a fantastic start. That Auburn defense, we'll see how Corral and Moore look in that. Then we have the Big Ten kicking off this weekend. So I'm excited to see Penn State and Indiana, you know, on the Penn State side of things. Sean Clifford, the quarterback right now, you know, he was a guy that when I watched him in the summer, I put him at number 13 on my quarterback rankings. But he's got some intrigue and upside to him. I'll be watching him. Pat Fryermoot, my number two tight end in my rankings right now, only behind Kyle Pitts. And then Journey Brown, I mentioned him before. He's my number five running back on draft eligible prospects. And he's got the upside to push his way to number three. I think he's got the natural talent to leapfrog over Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis, over Chubba Hubbard out of Oklahoma State. I think natural talent, he might be the third most talented back in the country after Travis Etienne and Najee Harris in terms of draft eligible prospects. But he's got to show that, you know, last year he was used very much in a committee. Will he get a bigger, you know, workload this year? I'll be keeping a close eye on Journey Brown out of Penn State, but love the app, love the talent of him. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, uh, I just mentioned Chubba Hubbard, keep an eye on him. And then Brock Purdy out of Iowa State bounced back uh, and had a good game last time he played. Excited to see him this upcoming weekend. Can he build on that performance after a couple shaky performances to start the season? Michigan, Minnesota gets into action this week. On Michigan side, Zach Charbonnet, the underclassman running back, uh, one of the top underclassmen back. So I'm excited to see him. Tanner Morgan, I mentioned him before. Uh, him and Sean Cliff were two guys in the Big Ten at Minnesota and Penn State. Excited to see them kick off their season. Morgan is a guy who, you know, I think some people like him a little bit more than me, but there are some components of his game that I am intrigued with. Is handles pressure pretty well. You know, that's something I'll keep a close eye on this week against that Michigan defense. And then Cincinnati SMU. I mentioned Desmond Ritter before. Again, to me, he reminds me so much of Colin Kaepernick. I'll be watching him in this game on the on the SMU side, Shane Bichelle. That should be a high scoring game, I think, with a lot of points. So keep an eye on those two quarterbacks. If we take this to the NFL rookie report for week six, let's start the quarterback position. It's officially to a time in Miami with the Dolphins at Marine Free, even after a shutout win over the Jets. The Dolphins decided that they are going to put to it into the starting lineup after their bye week. 
So I'm excited to watch him play. We've seen Joe Burrow have some success this year. We've seen Justin Herbert really look impressive. They must feel that two is fully healthy, ready to go. You know, he played, I think, a couple snaps at the end of this game this past week in garbage time. And now they are ready to hand the keys to their franchise to him. And I'm excited because I really did think it was a 1A, 1B thing between him and Joe Burrow. So the fact that, you know, he's back healthy, if he stays healthy, I am excited to see what he can do at the NFL level. I do think there's this misconception, and it's not everybody, but there there are, are certain you know, people that I hear on podcasts or, you know, on Twitter that talk about Tua and his rushing ability, like, you know, he's comparable to Russell Wilson or guys like that. And he really isn't. And I don't know where that, you know, I don't know if they just watched a game or two and saw him move around a lot, but he really has almost no rushing statistics for his entire collegiate career. I think he's very mobile. I think he's got good athleticism, but he is not a rusher and he's not going to be a rusher. Joe Burrow ran significantly more at LSU. Joe Burrow, Daniel Jones, guys like that, they're going to run way more in the NFL than two is going to run. So I think there's some misconception out there that to his mobility in the pocket means that he's going to be a guy who's going to add to his stats for with rushing. And I actually think it's the opposite. I, I don't think he's going to rush much at all at the NFL level. You know, sure. He'll get, he'll, you know, he'll rush a little bit here or there, but he's going to rush significantly less than Daniel Jones. He's not even going to rush as much as, as Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow is going to be a guy who consistently adds some statistics with his rushing ability. So two is going to have to get it done in the air to be fantasy, you know, productive. And I think he will in time. I think this year will be a little bit up and down, but I think they're making the move with the long-term picture. Uh, not so much caring about potentially making the playoffs this year, but want to use these last 10 games of the season to get two ready to go for next year and look to maybe make a push next year for the playoffs. I think that's what they're thinking. This past weekend, Joe Burrow had a big lead over the Colts. They ended up blowing the game, but Burrow played well, 25 of 39, 313 yards and a rushing touchdown. Him, Justin Herbert, I think we've seen a lot of good glimpses of, of this quarterbacks this year, and now you've thrown two into the mix compared to how poor the previous draft classes, the previous two now look. I think this year's quarterback class has the chance to be significantly better than the previous regimes. You know, obviously Baker Mayfield is having his struggles. Josh Rosen has never materialized. Josh Allen, you know, I'm a fan of, so he's panned out. So that draft class, you know, has definitely some question marks for sure, you know, in terms of how that's going to shake itself out. You know, obviously also Sam Darnold, you know, he might be out of the Jets organization after this year. And then this past year, or I should say, you know, the year before, Daniel Jones looked good year one, better than expected. He's been very inconsistent and looked poor at times this year. So where what does his future hold? Kyler Murray's looked good. I wouldn't say Kyler Murray's looked great. I think he's looked good. He's been very good for fantasy, maybe great for fantasy. But in terms of Purdue playing, I think he's been good. I don't. I wouldn't go above that just yet. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, he his tenure might be over in Washington already. I don't think Drew Locke is long for the starting job in in Denver. To be honest with you, so this quarterback class from this past year may end up significantly better than the previous couple years. So it's excited to kind of see now two again into the mix as well. At the running back position, 
Jonathan Taylor this week got back into the mix a little bit in terms of his pass catching, four catches, 55 yards, 12 rushes for 60 yards. My one concern with Jonathan Taylor in the pre-draft process in terms of his NFL value, as much as I like him as a running back and a prospect, is I did have some concerns that he was going to be a little bit Leonard Fournette-like. And he's had now week one in this past week some production in the passing game. But I'm just not sure the Colts are ever going to look at him as a guy who they want to catch 45 or 50 passes a year. So I think he's going to live in, besides that one fluky year for Leonard Fournette last year, Jonathan Taylor is going to have to be very much looked at like somewhere from the Leonard Fournette to Derrick Henry. And you hope that he's more Derrick Henry than Leonard Fournette, who, you know, the Jaguars soured on him, whether it was his attitude, behavior, on the field production, you know, probably a mixture of both. So we want Jonathan Taylor to be more like Derrick Henry, who's a freak athlete, you know, and Jonathan Taylor is an elite athlete as well. So we are, he is going to be a little bit, I think at times game script dependent, and he's going to be a little touchdown dependent at times. We hope that three or four catches is something that is in his wheelhouse at times, and he's shown it twice this year. So that's a good thing. But I do think it's not going to be something that we can guarantee and lock in on for the long term. And that might hinder Jonathan Taylor ever being in that top four, top five mix in terms of running back ranks. Uh, but I do think he still has very much possibility to be locked into a low end to high, uh, RB1 to high end RB2 in the future. James Robinson, I talked about him a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to put a big sell sign on James Robinson because he's came back to earth a little bit the last couple of weeks, still getting a ton of usage. And that's my concern that this year he's going to get a ton of usage. But to me, he still is a replaceable back or, or, or back that a team's going to look at and think we need to add another weapon. We need to add a, a dynamic piece to this. So whether it's Kenneth Gainwell in day two or Chubba Hubbard like that, maybe they add somebody like that. Or maybe it's not as high you know, of a prospect as those two guys. Maybe it's somebody you know early round four or something that had some explosion. So I think... You wait for James Robinson to have another game where maybe he gets 100 total yards and a touchdown, and I think maybe you look to sell him. And if you can get you know, a late round one rookie pick or a high to mid round two rookie pick, I think you sell and get out while you can. I mean, if you're contending for this year and you need him, that's a different story. But if you're not, I think you probably didn't have to you know, use much resources to get him on your team in the beginning of the year. If you can turn him into a late first round to mid second round pick, I would do it in a nanosecond and get out now because I just, I don't think he's the long-term guy who's going to see this type of workload for the long haul. DeAndre Swift finally got used for the lions and he responded with 14 rushes, 116 yards and two touchdowns. I am hoping this is his breakout game. Remember, DeAndre Swift was my favorite running back prospect in this great running back class. You know, to me, he's got some Alvin Kamara to his game, you know, in terms of his ability in the open field, in terms of his pass catching ability. You know, he runs physical and tough as well. So I love DeAndre Swift's game. So I'm hoping this is, if he has another down, you know, if it's inconsistent and the Lions do something silly and, they take, they don't use him for a game or two again, you know, at some point, use it as an opportunity to buy aggressive. Because unless I thought, if I needed a running back, unless I thought I was going to get Najee Harris or Travis Ethian, I would invest a early, early 
round one rookie pick to try to trade for DeAndre Swift because I love his upside. I think on natural talent, you know, you can make the case that he's even more of a natural talent than Travis Etienne or, or Najee Harris. If not, he's right there. It, you know, there was a time that Etienne and Najee Harris, most people thought they were going to be in last year's draft class. And I'm not sure I would have had any of them ahead of DeAndre Swift as my, as my number one running back last year. It would have been close. They would have been right in the mix with those other top five guys from last year, you know, and they probably would have been closer to the top than the bottom of that list, you know, but I, I'm not sure where DeAndre Swift and them would have, would have, would have settled in. So go get DeAndre Swift. If an opportunity arises that he is not being valued as high as he should, if, if, the Lions do something silly and take him out of the game plan again. J.K. Dobbins, nine carries, 28 yards. He's another guy that I would aggressively try to buy throughout this season. Keep checking in with your the owners. making Make sure they're not frustrated. Make sure they're not concerned that this is going to be a long-term committee you know, backfield and concerned about you know Lamar Jackson. Again, he's another guy. Mid-first round pick. I would trade it for J.K. Dobbins right now, you know, unless you're thinking, oh, I need a wide receiver with that pick. Give me J.K. Dobbins over any running back in this class, not, you know, named, you know, Travis Etienne or Najee Harris as well. So I would, if I thought I was a middle of the pack team and I was going to be picking five, six, seven, I'd trade that right now for J.K. Dobbins. I'd still buy and invest in him. I, you know, it's crazy to even have to say this, but if Clyde Edwards Hilaire starts losing significant work to Le'Veon Bell, I would keep checking in on his owner too and make sure that that owner is properly, you know, valuing him because if he's not, I would I would go all the way up to, you know, a top 3 or top 4 pick, you know, you know, if I thought that's where I was going to be picking in terms of a rookie pick for Clyde Edwards Hilaire because he's still attached to the Chiefs offense, he's still attached to Patrick Mahomes. I don't think Le'Veon Bell is going to be there for more than this year. Le'Veon Bell is going to look to, you know, cash in and, and get another free agent deal you know, with more guaranteed money somewhere else. And case that's probably not going to be with KC. And then I'll keep this going by saying Cam Akers was used for one play, I think, this past weekend. Team people might be scared that long-term now it's Darrell Henderson's backfield or it's going to be an even split. Okay, I still then, I would lowball the offer a little bit. I would see if I could offer a second-round rookie pick for Cam Akers. And if that's the case, and I could offer, you know, a second-round rookie pick, especially you know, even if it's an early second round, maybe even a late round one, I would offer that right now to get him as well. So these running backs besides James Robinson are all guys that I would want to constantly be checking in on and buying because I think they're all more talented than everyone who's going to be in the next year's class besides Travis Ethan and Najee Harris, who I expect to be somewhere towards the top of most rookie drafts next year. If we take this to the wide receivers, Justin Jefferson, nine catches, 166 yards and two touchdowns. This is now, I think, the second monster week that that Jefferson has had this season already, showing the ability to win vertically on the win vertically down the field, make plays after the catch and be a consistent threat as an outside wide receiver. Again, going back to the, the, the mantra that I talk about, sometimes we pigeonhole guys and we base things on. Well, we don't see it in college, so we don't think they can. And I think Justin Jefferson played the slot a lot at LSU, and that was where he was at his best, but that was for that offense. And we saw at the Combine, he tested out much better athletically than anybody thought. And I think now we're seeing that athleticism. We're seeing his ability to be more than a a short to intermediate type guy, which he mostly was at LSU at times. 
And we're seeing a guy who can win vertically down the field, who can make big plays after the catch and could be a consistent outside wide receiver. So, you know, I think that's where some misunderstanding of his game in the pre-draft process may have had people not as high on Justin Jefferson as they should have been. Chase Claypool, listen, it's a changing at a guard. I mean, he played more snaps this week than I think every wide receiver for Pittsburgh. He definitely played more snaps than, than Juju Smith. James Washington and him might've been close, but at this point, it's out. They're not going to, they can't put Chase Claypool back on the sidelines for much. Four catches, 74 yards, two catches. I mean, two rushes, seven yards and a touchdown. Claypool was such a hard eval for me because you saw this guy who was a monster on the field, but at times for Notre Dame, and it might've just been their scheme and what they asked him to do. I didn't feel like you saw the athleticism as often as you should have and him dominate as often as you now see him doing it at the NFL level, you kind of wonder why he wasn't just flat out dominating week in and week out. He had moments last year for sure. And finally, you know, had, you know, I remember, you know, Matt telling me years ago about Claypool and then we kept waiting, kept waiting. He finally had a breakout season last year statistically, but it was still at times, you know, not, you know, you still wondered, oh, is it just one year? And I still didn't think I saw this level of athleticism. And then he blows up the combine and then you start thinking to yourself, well, is this just a combine tester? Is this Miles Boykin who right now has yet to make an impact at the NFL level, but tested out, you know, as an athletic freak. But I think what we're starting to see is that maybe this wasn't utilized as he should have been at Notre Dame, but whatever it is, his athleticism is shining now at the NFL level. I think there's it now close to a 0% chance Juju Smith is back on this team next year. Uh, you know, when he enters free agency, I think they're going to roll with Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool as their two starters. James Washington, I think is still a very solid young wide receiver with upside. And then they'll probably draft another guy in the third or fourth round because that's what Pittsburgh does. So I think the arrow now is way, way up on Chase Claypool, you know, because I don't think there's a lot of concern now about maybe a crowded depth chart there and what he's already showing. You know, he's a guy that I have moved up in my wide receiver ranks. I have him at number eight, and that's still, you know, I moved them now ahead of guys like Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman, you know, Denzel Mims. But I don't even know. Eight seems too low. Like maybe he should be ahead of LaVisca Chenault, who I love. Maybe he should be ahead of Henry Ruggs, at, you know, and Jalen Rager, who hasn't done much this year due to injury. You know, he, he maybe should be higher on that list. But I mean, this class is so fantastic that my rankings right now, my updated rankings for this wide receiver class, I still have CD, I have CD Lamb at one. I still have Jerry Judy at two. I'm not ready just because he's off to a slow start to his career. Going to move off of Jerry Judy. I have Justin Jefferson at three. T. Higgins now has jumped up to four. I love the fact that he's connected at the hip to Joe Burrow. He's already developed into their number one wide receiver on the outside. I thought that was going to be at least a year, if not two away. So, the, And he's already producing at a high level. So he, you know, I love his upside. I have Jalen Rager at five because I, I don't want to move him down too much because we haven't seen him play. Henry Ruggs is explosive at number six. I think, you know, he's got a lot of talent to be a big time player, you know, in a Will Fuller type, you know, way. LaVisca Chenault, I think is Debo Samuel would maybe even a little bit more upside because I still think there's more development there in terms of his overall route running and refinement. And now, you know, I moved Claypool ahead of, like I said, Pittman and Ayuk and Mims. 
eight seems too low for him. But I mean, I just love this class so much. Like, I mean, this class, I think, is going to have nine or 10 guys be really impactful players at the wide receiver position. So really fantastic uh, wide receiver class there. I talked about Judy a little bit. Two catches, 32 yards this past week. He's having some struggles. He's had some, you know, drops and stuff like that. But you still see that talent. You see his route running, his ability to create separation. I know at times it seems like he might be struggling to create separation. I'm not worried in the long running about Jerry Judy's route running ability. I think that will take care of itself. Uh, I mentioned T. Higgins before. His arrow is way up now. The fact that he's already developed into that number one guy. I would aggressively... T. Higgins might have been a guy that fell to the early portion of round two in your rookie drafts. I would I would go offer a round one rookie pick for sure right now, maybe even as high as is a mid round uh, one rookie pick for T. Higgins because I know I love this class coming out. I love it. You know, I, I mentioned it before: the Alabama guys, you know, Jamar Chase, Rashard Bateman, Rondell Moore, you know, Tamarian Terry, Terrace Marshall. The list goes on and on. Seth Williams, but T. Higgins, man, he's right. He's right there, talented on on that level with a lot of those guys from this year's class. He's already shown that he can make the transition, win on the outside as an NFL receiver, and he's attached to Joe Burrow. Those known commodities intrigue me enough that I'd be willing to pay the price to get him on my team right now. And you can make the same case about Justin Jefferson. You know, if someone wants to say, I'm going to trade a mid-round one rookie pick that can be as high as five or six, I'm okay with that too. Guys that have already shown that they can translate to the NFL, put more stock in that. These guys are being very impactful early in their careers. And I think that speaks volumes of their long-term upside as well. Tight end, they do want to talk about Albert Okawebenam. He had a chance to play this week with Noah Fan injured, and Drew Locke was targeting him a lot. Listen, I like Okawebenam's game, but I wouldn't get overly excited about him. Noah Fan is really talented and really good, and I'm not looking to think that a second tight end, if Noah Fan was in his fourth season, maybe, you know, Okawebenam, I think, is a guy in a tight end premium league with taxi squads or really deep rosters. He's worth a, a stash, but I can't get too excited about him. You know, I love the athletic profile. He obviously tested really good in the 40 at the combine. Two years ago, he looked fantastic in terms of his film eval. Last year, not so much. Uh, but he's a guy that if Drew Locke's the quarterback, he might get some opportunities. The chemistry between them is obviously something from college, you know, that that easily can translate. I just don't know how much he's going to be on the football field with Noah fans healthy. So there it is, guys. The week six NFL rookie report kind of took you through a little bit my wide receiver rankings in terms of updated dynasty rookie rankings from that 2020 class. I, talk, I shared my thoughts a lot about the running backs in terms of buying, selling, talked about the quarterbacks relative to recent years and how much better this quarterback class looks like it's going to be compared to past years as well. So hopefully you enjoyed that and all the segments from tonight's episode. If you were enjoying the podcast and the content that I've been putting out on Twitter, I will continue each and every week to talk about the premium notebooks, 
please get over to the website, ssfootball.com is the easiest way to get there. Click on the premium content tab. Remember, for $9.99, you get access to all three premium notebooks. You get the 2021 scouting notebook. It has player profiles really in-depth on over 80 prospects already. More will be added, and everything in there will continue to be updated. That is the beauty of it. It is not a stale document that once you look at it, it is you know useless a couple months later. That will be updated you know, throughout the season with big updates after the year. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings, our draft eligible rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings, which I am updating just about after every single week of the NFL season to help you in terms of evaluate those rookies appropriately for your dynasty leagues. It has our Debbie rankings in there, you know, and those will be updated throughout the year. And then after the season, you know, we will have draft only rankings. We will have our tiers and then we will have our 2021 Dynasty rookie rankings following the draft. And then in April, you get the 2021 draft projections notebook. It has tabs for every single position, offense and defense, a little snapshot of their strengths, some developmental or concerning areas, all their measurements and and metrics from the combine. And then I project from everything I'm hearing, how I expect them to come off the board by position. Also a tab for my best guess at the 32 players to be taken in round one. The 100 players or so that get taken in the first three rounds. And my guess at every player that will be taken in the 2021 NFL draft. It is the best way to support the show. It is the best way to support, you know, the brand helps us cover all our expenses and costs to put out the podcast, to have the website, everything that goes along with it, the subscriptions that we need. And it's really the livelihood of us continuing to do this podcast. Uh, So if you've never purchased it, we greatly uh, encourage you to check it out. If you have any questions, please reach out to me on Twitter. If you have purchased it in the past, uh, we would love if you uh, purchase it again. Like we said, it really does help support us and it's only a cost of $9.99. So on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.